The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Do you want to start a company but have no idea where to begin? Or do you have dreams of becoming an influencer? Well, the Life with Mariana podcast is here to help. I'm Mariana Hewitt, a Los Angeles-based influencer and co-founder of the Clean Skincare line, Summer Fridays. Each Tuesday, I'm talking to my friends from business owners, wellness experts, and more to share all of their best advice for you to live your best life. Make sure to tune in and subscribe to my podcast and follow me on Instagram at Mariana underscore Hewitt to see what's coming up each week so you don't miss an episode. Ugh, I'm not in the mood. Do we have to do this? Yes. Wait, are we recording? Okay, let's go. You're listening to The Alley Colbert Show. Happy Tuesday to all of my little Colbertos. Could you imagine if that's what I called my fans? I don't have something I call my fans, I think, because it's either because I'm so naive that I truly believe that I have none or I'm delusional in even saying that. I think these are both. I think I'm saying the same thing. I think it's because I don't believe I have any fans. And there's something about naming your fans that is so obnoxious because it's like it's acknowledging the fact that you are doing something where you have people that enjoy your work and I have mental health problems so I can't receive which actually it goes hand in hand with our episode but I am curious what should we call those who are fans of mine those who listen to the podcast Do you guys have ideas? I would ask you to DM me them, but God knows none of you would ever do anything on your phones to support me. So I'll have to come up with something on my own. I wonder what I would... Little Colby's? No, this sounds stupid. I don't know. It has to be like little my little... (laughs) My little diaper dykes. (laughs) Diaper dykes. Like baby dykes. Baby dykes. I don't know. There's got to be something in there. I got to think about it. Anyway. For those of you tuning in on Tuesday, which is when the episode comes out, so the front runners of my fan base, I have a show tomorrow night in Los Angeles, nine o'clock. It's a jam in the van show in downtown LA. Tickets for the show are on my Instagram. So go have a look. Um, otherwise, some other things for the podcast that are exciting and for my for my life, honestly. For my life, honestly, some things that are like kind of exciting is I will soon be releasing La Merch. Merch. We're going to have some fun merch. And I'm really excited about it. And, you know, what sets my merch apart from everyone else's merch is how clever it is, really. Just so kind of cerebral and sexy and fun. And my merch is going to be kind of like the Yeezy merch of the podcast space. And I'm going to state that claim because who's going to challenge me? Anyway, if you have ideas for merch, if you have ideas for, basically, if you have ideas to help me do my job better, send me a message. Um, Other than that, today's episode is a fun one. It's an insightful one. It's a very grounded, 
eye-opening conversation that I have with author Jamie Varon, who has recently published her book, Radically Content. And Jamie and I discuss the book. We talk about deprogramming ourselves from hustle mentality, antidepressants, obviously. We talk about be, do, have versus have, do, be, how social media impacts you, what it means to be present. Ever think about that? How women specifically are taught to feel shame around winning and being addicted to negative thoughts amongst a bunch of other really uplifting things. No, I think it is a insightful, open conversation that I'm sure you will all enjoy. So have a listen. We're going to do a Q&A episode coming up really soon. I have an amazing audience member story, listener story that was that someone wrote into me that I can't wait to share with you guys. So keep sending stuff to the Allie Colbert show at gmail.com. If you have a dating story or a question or advice you want to give, I want to hear it all. And thank you so much to everyone who's been commenting. Truth sprinkled with humor, funny and smart. I'm absolutely obsessed. Oh my God. And how could I, how could I forget to mention my favorite review? Her 15 minutes are over. (laughs) Don't you just love hearing from people you don't know on the internet? I do. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please continue to share with their friends. Subscribe. If you haven't just hit that little subscribe button or follow. I think it's a plus mark on Apple and a plus mark on Spotify or or it says follow. Whatever. You guys are big. You guys are big girls. You can figure it out. Okay. I hope you enjoy and have a wonderful week. The reason that I called the book Radically Content and why I needed to condition it with the radically is because I felt very similar in that I thought contentment was kind of giving up. Like, okay, so you just stay in one place and you're just content and never have, you know, it's like boring to me. Right and complacent. And then I recognized, I was like, actually the very thing that I thought was boring and complacent was the very, like the thing that I actually needed, which was like just a foundation to return to. And then from that place, I can like achieve and do all the things. It's just, I know who I am. I know where my worth comes from versus just being like, I guess I'll see how I feel when I get this next achievement, or maybe this partner will do it for me. Or, you know, like what today is going to make me happy instead right. of like, I'm in control of my life a little bit. Right. It's outsourcing your joy. And I, I've talked a lot about this on the podcast because I've been on this journey through, uh, I went through this program called Atlas, which I'm sure my listeners are sick of me talking about. I don't know if you know about Atlas, you know about it. Um, so, you know, do you know Est from like years ago, the program broke off into two, like two different styles of like, I would say like self awareness, self achievement programs called either life spring or landmark and landmark is like, I know landmark talked about like a cold and it's annoying and people fucking hate it. And Atlas is kind of like a, like, uh, the similar programming as this program called MITT, but it was started not for profit. And Atlas is this this somatic work you do on your body that basically ingrains the idea of be, do, have instead of have, do, be, which is 
this paradigm in society, which the idea that if I have the money, I could finally make the movie and then I'll be happy as opposed to when I'm happy, I might attract some investors and then the byproduct of my joy is creating this money. Um, and I feel like your book was really rooted in this idea of like, I get to be the source of my light, my joy and stop kind of waiting for some outside milestone to like, tell me how to feel. Yeah. And that's, it's uh, the book comes from my own pain and frustration of being like, when is this ever going to kick in? Like, when do I get to feel that I'm okay and I'm happy? And, you know, it's like, do I, when I retire, like, how do I even know if I'm going to make it that long? You know, it's like, I don't know if that time is promised to me. So it's just like, I don't get it. I felt like I woke up one day in my like early thirties and I was like, everything's a lie. Like, yeah, I've been striving for so long and I still never feel like it's enough. And I still have this like, because for me, a lot of it was when I get the book deal, when I get the book deal. And of course, I got the book deal right when I stopped needing the book deal. You know, it's like, "Mm -hmm, thanks. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. You know, but it's like it really happened that way because I had this thing in my head, like when I get the book deal, everything will be great. Every like now that I've done the year of promoting this book, like, thank God I didn't actually feel that way because it would have been, I would not be in this place day after my book comes out, like calm and centered. And at peace. I know me and how I used to be, I would have been on the floor, like Mm -hmm. canceling everything, having some sort of like big come down. And I just, I can't do it anymore. Like I know that our society loves the drama of yeah. all of that, yeah. you know, like the yeah. big, post, oh, it. Want, post right, it, right. Like we want the big, big thing and the big emotion. And now I've got the tears and everything. And I'm like, I can't give it to you because yeah. I don't want to be like that. You know, like, I just want to be like, I just want to go on my walks and I want to be calm and I want to work on the next thing and create cool shit. And just, that's it. You know, I don't want to be all caught up in this hustle and feel like I can't sleep. I can't do anything. I just have to be what focused on what, what am I, what do I think I'm going to get when I get there? Right. Right. And the, the book kind of chronicles your journey from, I think the end of 2016, you started taking antidepressants and you made a vow to yourself. Tell us about the place you're in at that time, which you kind of just alluded to. And also what that vow that you made to yourself was. Yeah. End of 2016. I feel like 2016 for a lot of us was a pretty <laughs> big wasn't year. a good time. <laughs> no, yeah. it was like, Hello, anxiety. Yeah. There you are, my old friend. Welcome to hell. <laughs> right. Like every single day. Like I realized I was journaling at the time and I realized I had this moment, like at the end of 2016, I was like, I have woken up every single day with like heart pounding anxiety. Sick. I have to be done. Like yeah. I, I was sick to my core, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that was my kind of rock bottom moment. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's when I went, it's, I actually went on anti-anxiety medication and it was my like hail Mary. I was like, mm-hmm. please just someone get help me, you know? And then I made this vow because I was really iffy about medication. Um, I, because actually, I mean, doctors had been trying to put me on medication since I was like 14, trying to put me on Prozac. 
because okay. they thought I was depressed, you know, mm-hmm. which I was. So yeah, they were I mean, right. They were, right. <laughs> <laughs> they were correct. Um, yeah. But you know, I also, <laughs> I didn't grow up in a family that supported medication. Okay. Um, so I didn't know that I could choose that for myself at that time. So then I ingrained in me, like medication is bad. Right. But then I got to the point where I was like, I have to take it. I have to do something. But I also had this like vow to myself where I was like, if you take this medication, you also have to do the other things that you're not doing, which is like, you're not taking care of yourself. You're neglecting. You're saying I was basically in this, like my future self will figure it all out. Mm -hmm. Like my future self will do the walks and the exercise. My future self will figure out our money. (laughs) (laughs) Give that bitch things to do, you know, not me. I don't want to deal with it. So I was just like, cool. That's catching up to me. Yeah. Hello, how are you? Yeah. Um, and so that was really, I was like, I got to get out of debt. Like I got to get my money shit together. I got to figure out how to be happy. And it like really hit me, figure out how to be happy, figure out how to feel good. And it hit me that I had like never, ever had that as the goal. It was like, figure out how to achieve this thing that's supposed to make me happy. Figure out how to lose weight so you can be happy. Figure out how you can get the book deal so you can be happy. It was never just like how to just be happy, like as I am. Yeah. I was always like one, I'm one self-improvement project away from finding it, you know, Uh totally. And And that was the start of it. Like 2017 was when I just had to look at everything. And I was like, I have done nothing to support my happiness in the day to day of my life. Like in the day, it was always projecting out into the future. And I recognized as I shared it more and more, it started to like on social media, I started to notice people, other people felt that way too. I thought I was just totally alone. Like everybody else was figuring it out. Everybody was on a high with their achievements. I was just comparing myself to everyone. Social media is the fucking nightmare. It's the worst. For the, for the comparers among us, which is most of us, it is. Comparison's the thief of joy. Right. But if you want to be like, sometimes we have this like perverse thing where we want to compare. Yeah. It's like, then the social media is like buffet time. Oh, cool. Let me look up this person that I know. You know, it's like, yeah, why am I going there? It's Just don't brutal. Go. It's it brutal. Is. Okay. So you go on this journey and I, you make this vow to yourself. And I think it's important, you know, because a lot of people, will just like take the medication and then are like, okay, so like fingers crossed, I'm not going to do the work. I'm going to outsource my power once again. My girlfriend and I have this joke because there's like a Tums commercial and this person's like eating like cheeseburgers and milkshakes and like French fries. And then they're like, need it, need help, get a Tums. And we're like, but also like change your diet. Maybe it's like, you can't, we can't keep treating the symptoms and not the cause of everything in society. Which I felt like if, You know, I'm a big, big supporter of medication, I think. But I also think this, yeah, the the one pill fix. Yeah. Like it's never ever gonna work that way, not even just for mental health, but just for anything. So anyone that's telling you and selling you that is like, you know, there's something not right behind it. Right. Um, So I agree with you because. I really try. I was like, I have to take a holistic approach to this because like the medication was a way to get me out of the hole. You know, I was like, I'm in the bottom of the hole. Throw me a rope. Throw me a rope. Yeah. But then once I get up, 
I'm going to have to do this on my own, you know? And that was really important to me was to eventually get off the medication. Um, and which I did in about a year and I'm, and I don't know, people have different severities of mental illness. I, the only perspective I have for mine is like, I was depressed and anxious for like, since I was 14 years old, that's my first conscious memory of it. Same me too. So amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, and I just thought in 2017, I mean, I had a goal of being happy, but very much that felt a really far away. My goal was really like, I just want to like be able to be alive, like people, you know, right. like, I just want to know what that's like to wake up and go, I like this day. Yeah. <laughs> I had never experienced that ever. Totally. And like, I, I even think the notion of just like being happy is like happy, like goes in and out. Like happiness is like fleeting. Like, can you be content? Can you find ease in your life? Yeah. But you know, no one is like happy 24 seven. That's not, they're not well then. Right. Yeah. Oh, I agree with that completely. And I, I definitely talk about that in the book where it's like, it's not, the, for me, the goal is never like, let me ignore all my feelings and pretend to be happy and just keep going. No, I'm happy. I'm fine. I'm fine. No, I'm fine. I'm like, I'm going to just, I'm going to feel all my feelings. Yeah. Um, but I just have, to me, it's like, there's a set point to go back to, you know, it's like the set point is I am enough as I am. I'm worthy because I exist. I don't have to earn that. My joy is like available at any time. You know, I'm not going to pro like delay the joy Mm -hmm. because we punish ourselves too. like, yeah, that's a big part of, for some reason, like really high achieving smart women, we tend to like punish ourselves for not living up to the potential that we think we're supposed to. And so we're like, you don't, we tell ourselves, we're like, you don't get to be joyful until you, till you check off these things. I mean, come on. Like right. why you, you're going to like love yourself and be joyful. You haven't done all the things that you're supposed to do. Totally. It, it's like, like, it's like you're, it's like we tell ourselves like, how dare you? We shame ourselves for like enjoying anything along the journey. It's right. really incredible. I, I, it's reminding me, I need to talk about your Coca-Cola story before we get there. When you say I make this vow, what were the little things you started to integrate into your day that were like you claiming happiness on a daily, like, level. So the first thing was I, every single day had to be very vigilant about where I was striving. So what I see as striving is projecting into the future and saying, I'll be happy when that Mm -hmm. happens. I had to completely stop it. Like, and it felt, I felt sad actually. Like there was a grief there because when you have this vision and future vision of your life, it's almost like you get addicted to it Mm -hmm. and you're like, one day it's going to be better. Right. You know, and then right. you recognize you're like, wait, I have to make it better now. Like I have to do the work now. So that was part of it was really working on changing the mindset. Yeah. And then exercise was a big part of it. I mean, it, it, it works. They say it works because it works, you know, right. like it's right. so important. Yeah. Um, I had to really like get present. And I also, I stopped writing for two years. Mm. That what was, was that big, about? Because the writing was plaguing me like that. I wasn't where I was plaguing that, that I wasn't where I wanted to be yet with the writing. Like I didn't have the book deal. I didn't have my friend, other people were publishing books. I was so jealous. I was like comparing. It was madness. Like I just, I was like, you have to quit. And 
the only way you can come back to this writing is if one day you return to it with joy. And that was so far from where I was that I was like, okay, sure. Yeah. I'll return to it with joy. Mm -hmm. You know, this was my, my punishment was to be a struggling writer in my mind. Yeah. So I just stopped and I was like, I'm going to focus on, you know, I'd always been the type of person that had, I, I was a designer at the time, web designer. I still am. I still do have some clients, but at the time I was always doing 10 side hustles at once, like everything. So I just decided, I was like, just focus on clients, make money, put people on some retainers and like pay off this debt so that it, this felt like it felt like a weight on my shoulders all the time that I had this debt that I wasn't honoring my money. So those were the big things. And then also journaling, journaling turned into, um, writing affirmations, which was very transformative for me because it basically was like rewriting my mind, like how I was thinking. Cause I recognize I was like, I have negative thoughts on a loop. I'm addicted to negative thoughts, complaints, frustrations, how my life isn't working out. And I was like, what happens if I just tell myself a different story? And then it, I like changed things. My mindset started to change, not overnight, but over time. Yeah. So those were the big, most, you know, those were the big things. And as I've now started to achieve more and go more into some of the things that I feel like I'm in a redo, I'm doing all the things over again that I wanted yeah. to do for so long. And I still return to those habits. Like I still feel like those are my grounding habits and they don't have to be a 10 hour morning routine, you know, where yeah. it's just, I'm not like a TikTok hot girl morning routine. It's just like, do the couple of things that you do. Like yeah. I do, you know, and then that's it. Like have a few things in the day that return you back to you. Like if you don't like to meditate, don't meditate, like go on a walk, cook. Yeah. I don't know. Be mindful. So are those the things that when you're saying I, I wanted to be more present. I was committed to being more present. What did that look like in your life? Were you not, you're not on social media. You're taking a break from that. You're, I was you know. on social media. Yeah, actually. Yeah. I only returned to it like a couple of years later because I just needed my mind back. And now I don't have that. I don't need to be off social media. I actually really like social media and can now have a really positive relationship with it because I'm not, looking for my validation there, you know, yeah. like it's, yeah. I'm not going on going, am I doing good today or not? Yeah. I'm just like, this is my community and I'm happy that I get to connect with people. So that had to change too, because, but I also think presence is a lot more than just like being off social media or like noticing flowers. It's about, to me, it's about really honoring where you're at at the moment. Like if you're feeling sad that day, or if you're feeling, you know, really being tuned in to yourself and listening, because that's the thing that we distract from the most, right? Like we just go about our day, like mm, that's an inconvenient emotion. I don't want to, I'm going to not feel that. And then it just, you know, you're not really, then one emotion turns into like a month of that emotion when we could just listen to it and hear what it has to say. So that's, that was a big part of it. Right. But honestly, at the time it wasn't, I've gained knowledge since that time, but mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was actually a mess at that time. I mean, I yeah. was not someone that could, I was very in the life is hard. Life is unfair. It doesn't work out for me. And is your husband of that mindset? No, he's really positive. So actually. is relationship 
a huge struggle at that point in time? I mean, I definitely, yeah, I had to stop putting so much on him. Yeah. You know, it was like he, I could tell he started to get really weighed down by, you know, my constant complaining and not feeling very good about myself and all of this stuff. And I mean, it was tough. You like in relationship, it's a big mirror, you know, you don't, it's not great to go through hard stuff, (laughs) like, especially like tough emotional stuff. You're like, can you like leave please? Like, I don't want you to see me. I don't want to be around me like this, you know? Yeah. I mean, what I found about my exploration of presence in the last year was that I really thought I was someone who was present about a year ago. And ultimately, if I'm in the moment, even if I'm not on my phone and I'm just telling, dumping my anxieties on my partner, I'm not present. And what has happened as I've like, you know, been like in this work since I moved to LA, LOL, LA, but is that I've opened up a lot of space emotionally to connect with my partner and the people in my life and to like really hear them and just hold space for them and to engage with them in a way that's not like fulfilling any like anxious need within myself and the the anxiety dump as my girlfriend and I call it is something that we have created a system of like, Hey, I need to dump. Can I like have two minutes of your time so I can just like emotionally vomit on you. And then I'll be, I can close this out, but like, I just need someone to hear this. But before that structure, like a lot of relationships I've had have just kind of unraveled into like, you become really close to someone. And when you're like really intimate with someone Ultimately, you can just like you can quickly become just their space to just like puke all their like anxieties and neuroses. And that's not connection. That's not like relationship building. That's just like using each other. And it, and it, it is, in my opinion, is a symptom of a lack of presence. That's and interesting. I think you're totally right. I went off my phone this weekend. I like shut my phone down on Friday and I was like, I'm going to turn it on on Monday as an experiment. And I was itching like I would, you know, I would jerk for my phone a few times just to like, I I just, we wanted to see what would happen. I would jerk for my phone. Like it was like some like phantom limb. I would in the morning, it's one of the first things I grab. Like before I get out of bed, I'm looking at my phone. It's so unhealthy. And I have tried to break this habit like cigarettes, but I like find little excuses. I tell myself to like get me to look at the screen Anyway, it's it's a total mess. But you said something that stuck with me in the book and you said it just now also. And you said that how you interpret your life is how you experience your life. And that has been like the big one of the biggest lessons that I've been doing my best to digest over the last year or so. And I have a coach who's amazing. God, I sound so LA in this episode. But I love it. She talks about how Mary Jo, Laura, she talks about how everything is neutral and humans are just meaning making machines. And it's true. However you want to interpret your life is like what your life will be. And we can just choose what we want it to, what we want the story to look like. Isn't that incredible? No, it, I feel like when you say that, and when I recognize that, like I have that moment of recognition, it's like, I see the universe just like, 
you know that you know that gif where it's everyone's like that yeah, guy's yeah, yeah. in the universe and it's yeah. just like oh because I it's so true because I mean everything our like the whole world exists in our mind and perception right, right. it's it's not there's no outside meaning like mm-hmm. we are we are creating the meaning all the time and when I recognized that I was like why do I always create the meaning as like the worst thing ever? Totally. You know, like how, how come I interpret everything as the worst thing? And I'm always looking for, I felt like I was a detective always looking for evidence that I was not good enough. Constantly. Of course, of Everything course. that happened. I was like, interpret that as not good enough. Like, there we go. Okay. Like I could skew. I've felt like I had a special talent. I could yeah. skew anything. I'm sure you did. Yeah. <laughs> like we all know how it goes. Yeah. And I think we don't realize, like, I think we kind of, we like those stories. They feel very comfortable and it does feel so hard to change them because we're like, well, wait, we have, I have evidence. I have evidence that that means this. And the society has told me that that means this. And it's just like, no, you can, that, that was why I wrote radically content because it's just like, you can literally change your mind about anything, like not even just change your mind about an opinion, an external opinion, but like an opinion on yourself. Like you can rewrite the whole story and then it changes your filter completely. Because I mean, I remember I was on a podcast a couple of weeks ago and the woman was just like, so are you just like a naturally really happy, optimistic person? And I was like, um, no, no, I've literally, that's when I like told her, I was like, Doctors have been trying to prescribe me. No, she she hadn't read it yet. And and I was like, doctors have been trying to give me Prozac since I was like 14. And I'm like, this is just, you can change your reality. I mean, I'm not saying anyone who's writing a book about happiness was once miserable. Let's be real. Come on. Right. I mean, did you have you read like what were some of the books? Actually, this is a good question. What were some of the books that you were reading during this time that were like speaking to your soul? Were you like reading Liz Gilbert and like Glenn Doyle? And like what like what was your book that you're like, oh, this is my Bible right now? Well, I try on, you know, even though I love nonfiction, I try to keep the channel clear with when I'm writing. Uh But before I started writing Radically Content, the funny thing is I actually loved it untamed, but when I first read it, when it first came out, I didn't like it at all. Tell I me think, why. I think because I was like maybe a little jealous mm-hmm. and then also just like not in the place where I was able to interpret it um, very well or like take it in very well, which is also part of the reason where I'm like, I don't know how people are going to interpret my book or like take it in. It might trigger them. It might like untamed triggered me. Yeah. And then when I picked it up, the thing about untamed that I loved was like, I felt I, I had no, honestly, Glennon and I don't have a lot of similarities really like in how we approach life or anything. But the thing about her book was her honesty was what carried me into radically content because Initially, my book was going to be more of like a a how-to. Got it. And then instead of that, I read Untamed and I was like, no, this is, I need to tell stories. And I told my publisher and she was just like, you're an amazing writer, write whatever you want. Literally, (laughs) you know, like do it. And and I was like, okay, cool. Um, But 
she gave me a lot of permission, I think, in terms of healing and um, speaking out loud, like what you really don't want to say out loud. Um, And I think also, I mean, I've read Big Magic by Liz Gilbert. Of course, I read Eat, Pray, Love when it came out. And I was like, this is amazing. I mean, of course, you know, those those are the the standards. Might Radically Content find its way on that shelf? Oh my God. The stories that you tell. That brings me to the Coca-Cola story. Right. Set us up for that story. Okay. That's so funny. I did not think this story was going to, everyone asks me about this story. Um, Yeah. So the Coca-Cola story is I, after like finally like three years of being in college, I was on this advertising competition team, like very nerdy thing, but I loved marketing, loved advertising. And I wanted to be on this team because essentially your class, like your team creates this plan for a specific, um, like everyone in the country creates a different advertising plan for the same company. So like the first time it was Yahoo, which, you know, was like so cool then. Wow. (laughs) You're like, Yahoo. Wow. (laughs) And then it was Postal Vault, which was like the stupidest product ever. It doesn't even exist anymore. Yeah. And then the year that I was finally president and they finally let me be president um, was Coca-Cola. And I was like, oh, here we go. And I was so excited, like the most enthusiastic. I gave people homework. I was that person. Like I was like front of the class, listen up. I have PowerPoints prepared. Let's get into it. And we actually won at the district competition. We got first place. I got best presenter of the whole competition. And we were all sitting around like in a big amphitheater with the other teams and there was a Q&A and some of the other teams were asking like, what could we have improved? What could this? And I asked, I'm like, what would you say to us for going to nationals on how to improve? And the whole place went silent. And like, and my team got so angry with me. And later in the car, they were like, how could you ask that? Like, that's so arrogant. Everybody was upset that they lost. And you're asking like how you can get better to win. And I was like, what? Like, should I have felt bad that we won? Like everybody in that room, like wanted to win. Right. And so I felt very shamed and I didn't realize it that this was college. I mean, I was like 21, 20, 20, 21, you know, and I carried that with me for a long time of like this fear of kind of success and this fear that people will not like you if you do well. And, um, this fear that like people will get jealous or people will try to take you down or like, you should feel ashamed if you do better than others. Right. And cause I didn't really, I just took it all in, you know, I didn't, I, I took it on. Like it wasn't super conscious that I was like, gosh, they're being rude. Like, you know, why would they say that? I mean, I want to win and I don't think anything's wrong with that. I was just like, wow, maybe they're right. Like I'm, what did the judges say? Did they give you advice or were they similarly off put? But no, they did. And it just, I don't know, maybe the way I asked the question or. It's not the the way you asked the question. Hello. I know, but it was like a weird thing 
that I didn't think it was like that weird of a question, but I, I didn't think it was that weird either. I was shocked when, and then I understood. I was like, wait, what? Why is everyone mad? I thought I missed something. I was like, did I not, did I understand the story? And then I was like, oh no, they were so uncomfortable with the fact that she was like, that you were embodying and felt empowered by the win. Yeah. And how inappropriate of you, you must, you must embody more humility. Yes. Well, because the thing was, I think what added salt to the wound was like, okay, so we win the whole district. I'm the president. I get best presenter. It's like a lot of fanfare on me in that moment. And I very much at that time, I didn't know to feel, I didn't think to feel humble because I'm like, I, I just worked for eight months on this, you know, like I worked really hard on this. And even, I mean, I was just, just like, this is what we wanted. And so I was really confused and it wasn't until later that I was able to understand. I was like, oh, like that was threatening, especially that I was a woman, especially that I wasn't like, you know, being humble in the way that being they're small about it, being small about it. Like I was really owning it and being like, okay, well now I'm have my eyes set on nationals, like help us out. Like, I felt like this was an opportunity of like, what could we improve to get better for the next competition? Like that, I'm like, that's the real question. Like they're just, I mean, I'm trying to learn here too. This is my teaching moment as well. And the way that people reacted, I mean, but also the other thing was like that team, a lot of stuff had been building because they were just sometimes outrightly disrespectful. And I just didn't get it because like, no one told me like, oh, you'll be treated differently as a woman, you know? Yeah. I mean, I also think it's, I definitely think the the woman thing, but I also think that there's this, emphasis on I mean in society in general just like you can give you can exert all of your effort everything can be outward but receiving which is the other side of this pendulum is incredibly uncomfortable socially like don't don't really receive don't really open up wide and let these words in never believe what people tell you about yourself if it's good if people say you're incredible tell them no, stop, stop, right. deflect. No. deflect, deflect. Don't ever let yourself feel full with validation that comes from like, it's, it's crazy. It really is because you're totally right. It's like, especially with artists, it's like, you have to have a certain self-belief to put your work out there. Otherwise you have there, ha- even if you have self-doubt, there's a part of you that wants to be heard and seen in some way. Right. And then we tell people like that, well, don't know that you're good. <laughs> like, right, right. Don't know the impact and value that you have. You know, like I've been noticing this with the book because I, I feel like a lot of people when they promote their book, yeah. it's kind of like an apology. Like, well, I don't know if this is good, but like, if you could maybe pre-order, that would be great. And I'm just like, uh, no, this book is great. Like I wrote, I wrote it and I, I loved writing it. I know what's in it. Like I I've been working at this for a, over a decade. Like I, the last thing that I have doubt about is the book, the actual book. It's like, is it going to reach enough? I don't know who knows where it's going to go. And I'm just like, refuse to be, I'm, I refuse to model that status quo 
Yeah. Like I, I don't want to model for people because that's what's happening. It's like we learn these behaviors, which is like the deflection, the no, no, mm, me, little me, really? Right. Oh my God. Wow. Right. And it's like, no, we learn those behaviors. I mean, I remember this always reminds me whenever I talk about this, it always reminds me of the Anne Hathaway, Jennifer Lawrence comparison that we had. Well, like back in years ago when they were both having like moments, like they Uh were both getting awarded and things like that. Jennifer Lawrence was like, you know, quirky and me, you know, oh, I'm so relatable. And Anne Hathaway was like, thank you. Like embodying it. And people were tearing Anne Hathaway apart. So annoying. Like what? Be more like Jennifer Lawrence and essentially saying like, I'm sure that you're not worth it. Yeah. Act like you don't know. Like, okay, we're going to give you awards, but like, don't say thank you. Say like, oh, I don't deserve it. Oh, it's God. Someone else did it. Oh, it's not me. I can't break. It's so tiring. I'm I'm not going to do it. I know. And I mean, I love I've always said I like do not understand why people hate on Anne Hathaway so much. I, I And that's no, I understand what people find irritating about her, but I adore her. I didn't realize that was a thing, though, of like, but that makes sense that Jennifer Lawrence is like such a quirky like, oops. And oh, Anne there was so many like, I've been studying pieces. for 15 years. Yeah. Like there were yeah. so many think pieces and it was like, OK, um, but anyway, it just it, it goes to show what. Something that I try to point out a lot in Radically Content and in my work in general is like, you know, these things are so subtle. We we pick them up, you know, like this whole thing with the Coca-Cola story. It was so subtle, but I picked it up and I took it on and I was like, oh, I should feel guilty if I do well. People won't like me if I do well. So why don't I make sure that I like I had a real habit of self-sabotage something would go well. And if someone like, I remember anytime I've had like more of a public moment, if people message me, I'd be like, well, I mean, it's, it's not as good as you think like it, this is happening or this is happening. And this like deflection of I'll make you feel better, you know, like let me make you feel better that. Yeah. Let me take care of you. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, why don't I just say, thank you. Yeah. You know, like, okay, I received that. And I also found what's really interesting is that the more that I've been able to receive the stuff that's coming my way, like the, the praise and compliments and things like that, first of all, the less that I feel like it's any kind of validation, it's just kind of confirmation that I'm on the right path. It also has opened up a lot of space for me to like love on other people, you know, because it's not, I'm like, let me be the cheerleader in that person's life. And it's given me a lot of space. And as someone who used to compare so bad and like really have a hard time accessing that, um, that like joy for someone else. Yeah. That's been such a nice thing because I feel like the less that I shame myself yeah, for like doing well and, and putting my art out there and really celebrating myself, like the more that I have space to celebrate others. Like, wait, like love no, is it. infinite. It's like. Yeah. Blowing out other people's light will not make your light brighter. And like the amount of the amount of praise and love we have to give others and ourselves is endless. Like, sorry, this is such a deep podcast episode. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Jamie's version of Untamed Radically Content is out now. Go get a copy. Thank you so much, Jamie. Thank you, Allie. Thanks for having me. 